Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. A lot of truth in that. Thank you, Kermit. Well, I'll ask again, everybody have a good Christmas? Yeah. I'm not going to ask if you're glad it's over because, well, Wayne already did. And I thought, you know, I, I, I was when I was thinking about what to speak on this morning, I was thinking this is the last Sunday, not only of the month, but it's the last Sunday of the year. And I was, I was thinking maybe, maybe I should talk about, you know, finishing well. It's good for us to finish well, not just the end of life, but let's finish the end of the year well. Well, that didn't come together. So I prayed about it. I said, you know what? I got one more Christmas message in me. Is that okay? Can you handle one more Christmas message? And I want to talk about some people that, they, you know, we usually talk about them before Christmas, but the reality was, and, the, and this is why this message today is going to be so fitting, is that these guys didn't show up on Christmas. It took them almost a couple years to get there. These are the wise men, the magi, the, the men from the east that followed the star. They didn't get there for a couple of years, and so it's okay for me to be a couple of days past Christmas and still have a Christmas message, amen? So this is in Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and take them out? And while you're taking them out, you can just hold them up. I don't know if you notice, I'm actually holding this with my right hand. Yes, for those of you that don't know, I had surgery November 11th and was stuck in a sling for up until last Monday. So this is about as high as it goes, but it's working. Repeat after me, this is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, and as you get there, I just, you know, many of us are familiar with the story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story. We've talked about it quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and we're familiar with the accounts that are written up in Matthew and in Luke from two different perspectives. They get read every year, and oftentimes they're acted out in Christmas plays and programs and church and occasionally in school. We're familiar with the different characters who had a role that first Christmas, but what I want to look at today is not just the characters, but what they did. And not just what they did, because if we look strictly at the, at the Magi, the wise men, we know that they're famous, infamous, whatever. We, we know about them because they traveled a long way. We know about them because they brought some gifts, but I want to look even beyond just what they did to why they did what they did. How many of you know that, that actions are important, but the heart that drives the action is even more important? See, man looks on the outside. Man sees the action, but God sees the reason behind the action. And if we judge purely on action, we can get things wrong. But God, he judges not just the action that's done, but the motive that drives the action. So that's what I want to want to look at today. Is there, is there real reason behind what they did? Excuse me, real reason behind what they did? Or is this simply an historic account? I think there's some reason behind it. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
Thank you for this opportunity once again to gather together in your presence. Lord, to fellowship, to worship, to break open the bread of life. I pray this morning as we read your word, as we listen to the message, first of all, that you'd be glorified. Lord, I pray that you'd be pleased to feed us from your word today. Search our hearts, challenge us and change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I said Matthew chapter two, and we are gonna be there. I just wanna read one other verse before we get there. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, kind of lays the foundation of this story, if you will. Deuteronomy is written by Moses and was a command from God to the people. It says this, no man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So keep that in mind as we read Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. You ever wondered why he was willing just to let him? I mean, he, if he really wanted to worship him, don't you, don't you think he would have gone along? Sometimes we want other people to do the tough work for us and just you know, send report back to us. Of course, we know that he had some ulterior motives. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. So first, I want to understand who these, who these guys are. And, and you know, we have, we, we've made this assumption over the years because there was three gifts, that there was three wise men. And that's not necessarily true. The Bible really doesn't tell us how many there was. We know there was more than one, so there was at least two. But there could have been 10, there could have been 15. We don't know. It might have only been three, but we know that there was three gifts. But who were these guys? They're known as magi, or they're known as wise men. The word magi means magician or sorcerer or one who deals in magic, cultic stuff. Basically, these could have been pagan priests. And these were guys that were involved, uh, at least by their, by their name, by the denoting of their name magi, they were men that were wise, but, but also could have been involved in the dark arts. Uh, Pharaoh had magi 
around him, uh, but they could not tell him his dream or interpret it. Joseph came and interpreted the dream because God reserves some things for himself. Amen? When Daniel was in the king's service, in fact, three different kings, he was surrounded by magi, by wise men, by, by false prophets. That's, they were the wise men of the country, but, but they were limited. Daniel had an unlimited supply of wisdom from who? From God himself. And so I find it interesting that these men are identified as magi. They could have been possibly involved in the dark arts. And yet, here's the interesting thing. They were seeking the king who was born king of the Jews. Did you notice what they said? We've come looking for the one who was born king of the Jews. There was no doubt in their minds. There was something that, was, that had spoken to them, something that resonated with them, that there is one born king of the Jews. They had an understanding of what God was doing. Now, again, I mean, some of this is, some of this is speculation, but, but for us to understand, magi or wise men, these guys are from the east. We know they weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from Israel. They weren't Israelites. They weren't in God's people, but they were from somewhere in the east, possibly Babylon. What had happened in Babylon? Well, a couple hundred years prior to this, maybe a thousand years prior to this, Daniel had been captive in Babylon. Daniel had had the uh, scriptures with him. Daniel had lived a good and godly life, even though he had been uh, really messed up by the, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, the, and so on and so forth, every king that he served. You know, when Daniel and his friends were taken captive, you know, uh, Israel had already gone into captivity. Judah was going into captivity. They were overrun by the Assyrians. They were made eunuchs, and I'm not going to go into detail, but let's just leave it at this. They were never able to have kids, okay? They had their manhood stripped from them, and yet these young men chose to serve and honor God. They said, regardless of what you've done, we're going to honor God. In fact, if you look in the account in Daniel, he was a young man, he was a healthy man, he was a strong man, he was a wise man, he was a good-looking man, him and his friends and they were chosen to learn the ways of Babylon. And he said, you know what? We honor God. We love God. We're, we don't want to eat your food. He was respectful. And God honored him. And he rose. Again, he rose to the number two position. Got in trouble a couple of times because he wouldn't dishonor God. He wouldn't worship anybody else. But because of his steadfast lifestyle, a number of kings understood there was one God in heaven the God of Israel. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar, after, after a, a time when, when Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind and Daniel had told him, he had interpreted a dream, Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind for seven years and then came back. He made a decree that everybody in his kingdom must worship the God of Israel because he was the only true God. Sometime later, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den and, and you know the story, God preserved him. And when he came out, that king made a decree that everybody must worship the God of Israel because he's the only true God. So back to these magi, whether they had been involved in magic arts, whether they were, certainly they were pagan, they were, they were searching, and they, were, they had been privy, I'm convinced of this, they had been privy to some of the writings of Daniel. They had been privy because he was, he was number two man. 
They had seen some of the things that he had written. Maybe their forefathers had served with him at some point. Daniel had brought in holy scriptures, the Torah, with him and had, had read it and understood prophecy from it. So they were somewhat familiar. But how many of you know you can be familiar with something, but if you don't see a good example of it being lived out before you, that familiarity isn't going to go very far. Because, and this is my own personal belief, this is my speculation because of the consistency of Daniel's testimony. Because of the consistency of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego when they were in the worst place in their life. These men down through history had a high regard for the God of Israel. They read the scriptures. They studied them. They said, we got to find out about this God. Your name might not be Daniel or I'm really sure it's not Meshach, Shadrach, or Abednego. If it is, we need to talk because I've never met anybody with that name, any of those names. But you have that same responsibility to live a consistent, godly life in the midst of the worst experiences of your life. Why? Because there are people that are watching. You got coworkers, you got friends, you got family members that are watching to see how you're going to handle the worst experiences of your life? Are you going to be one that runs from God and finds solace in something else? Or are you going to be one that runs to God and lets him pick up the pieces, lets him give you beauty for ashes? People are watching. And it goes down the generations. It became part of, of the history of those nations that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did not bend the knee to the idol. And God brought him through a fiery furnace. It was part of the history that Daniel would not pray to the king. And God saved him from the lion's den, down through the generations. And these men wanted to know, who is this God of Israel? The only mention we have in Scripture about a, about a star, about any kind of prophecy of a star, was actually uttered by Balaam, who was trying to curse, who had been paid to curse Israel. But as he tried to. I mean, he even told the king, he says, look, I can't say anything negative. All I can say is whatever God tells me. And Balaam makes mention in Numbers chapter 24, this is the only, only place. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And this is the only place that I can figure that maybe these magi had seen, they had read the scriptures and said, a star, we're looking for a star. Honestly, I don't know if God was using that as, as prophecy or if he just took their, their misunderstanding and says, you know what, I'm going to bless these guys. They're magi, they're pagan. Let's say they're the worst of the worst, but didn't Jesus come for the worst of the worst? That ought to be good news for you and me because we might look pretty good on the outside, but God doesn't look on the outside. I can remember... Up in Toledo, I'd been praying God would, and I, and I pray the same thing here, but I, I began praying, God, send us the worst of the worst. Send us the worst of the worst in this place. And, and we need to pray that way, but understand when we pray that way, it can get messy. It can get messy, but God's really good at cleaning up messes. But I'd been praying that for a while, and all of a sudden, I, I started to have a relationship with an individual in the community that I didn't think was the worst of the worst. In fact, this was the chief of police. I mean, that's a pretty good guy. You know, if you want to be in good with, with somebody in a small town, be in good with the pastors and be in good with the police. 
And if you have kids in school, be in good with the principals. So I was in good in all these places. But I, I, I began building this relationship uh, with the chief of police. He would, he would park his cruiser out. Or, or the church was right across the street from the middle school. My kids were in the middle school. And, and he would park out there. And so I started going out and I started taking him coffee. Not sure if I was trying to distract him from my kids or what the deal was, but I thought, you know what? I like coffee. He seems like he'd probably like coffee. He works a lot. Of it. So I'd walk out there and I'd, I'd give him coffee and we'd start talking. And hey, why don't you come on in? Oh, no, no, maybe, maybe some other day. I said, well, come on in. Week after week, finally, he came in and we're walking around. And he's looking. And, you know, we had been, we had had this pretty good relationship for a few weeks. And so we get to talking. And I was telling him, I said, hey, yeah. I said, you know, in fact, it was after he had come to a service and got saved. And uh, I said, yeah, I've just been, just been praying that God would send us the worst of the worst. And uh, his response, he says, well, that explains why I'm here. <laughs> I said, what? Oh, never mind. <laughs> Pray that God would send the worst of the worst. But, you know, these magi, they could have represented the worst of the worst. Sure, they had great reputations in their pagan nation of being wise of having insight, but they were going for something more than man's approval. They were digging into the scriptures and saying, hey, something's going to happen. The God of Israel is real, and, and, and they understood that God was going to send a Messiah at some point, a king. I don't know if they had it all figured out, but they had read perhaps in numbers about a, a star rising. And I believe that God looked at them and said, you know what, you got just the kind of heart that I like. And, and, and I don't care if you're from Israel or not. I love you. I don't care how messed up you are. I love you. And, and whether or not God intended for that to be a prophetic sign, he says, you think that that's going to happen? You see, you know what? When my, why not? Why not a star when my boy comes into the world? And they saw his star, and they followed it. So he's mad, Jay. They weren't, they weren't like some closet Christians. I mean, they were just some worst of the worst trying to figure things out. So back to us having to live a consistent life. Let me just throw this out and ask you, is your life helping or hindering people in coming to Christ? Is your life helping or hindering people in accepting God's word? Daniel's life helped. Meshach, Shadrach, their lives helped. How about you? If it's not, what can we do to change that? Moving forward from the men, let's look at their gifts. What did they, what did they bring? Well, they brought gold, frankincense, and if you think that's all, just wait, there's myrrh. There's more, there's Thank you, Pastor Wayne. I appreciate that. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's what we're told. And that's what we have a tendency to focus on, don't we? I mean, usually at Christmas, we focus on these gifts. Those are pretty good gifts. But I mean, yeah, you think about it. You're coming to, coming to, see, the, you're coming to see the Son of God. And I wonder, you know, Jesus was maybe two years old at the time. And, you know, people, are, theologians are always wondering, did Jesus know that he was son of God? Did he know he was God in the flesh when he was that young? I don't know. But if he did, I wonder if he looked over and he saw the gold and he thought, oh, pavement. Because, you know, they paved the 
I'll just keep with the word. I got the no from Kermit. I'll just keep with the word. A lot of messages have been preached, and a lot of pastors and, and theologians take time to find symbolism in those in these gifts. And and there may be. You know, I've I've seen gold being um, considered symbolic of Jesus' deity, perhaps recognizing him as king, bringing a gift of, of gold to the king. Franken, frankincense, I've, I've heard people talk about, you know, it's a sweet perfume and suggests a fragrance of a sinless life. Myrrh was a bitter herb that was used in burial oftentimes, and you know, people have said, you know, they're recognizing him as a suffering savior. I, I don't know. I don't know if the wise men, if the magi put that much thought into it. I don't know if it matters if they thought about the symbolism or if that's just something that, that Christian preachers and teachers have come up with in years since. What I do believe is that in accordance with the passage out of Deuteronomy that we read earlier, they brought gifts in proportion to the way God had blessed them. They said, we're going to see the king. We're going to see the one that was born king of the Jews. We're going to see the Messiah, the savior of the world. And we're not going to go empty-handed, so what do we have? These guys were were men of means. They brought gold. They brought incense, frankincense. They brought myrrh. They brought what they had. And they did have a practical side. I mean, the gold would support the family for a time, and, and the other things could be sold as needed because God takes care of his own. And those are the obvious gifts. But I don't think those are the best gifts. You ever notice how some gifts catch your eye? They catch your imagination, but others seem to go unnoticed. A big gift under the tree or a flashy gift under the tree, it catches your eye. You're, oh, what's that? And I don't know. I was, I was kind of rotten when I was... Actually, I think I did it to my kids, too. I'd wrap a big box. Sometimes I'd put two-by-fours in it, make it heavy, put a small box inside of it. So they're getting all excited. Oh, I got this big gift. No, you didn't. It's like a comic book or something. Because some gifts catch our eye. We go, oh, that's really neat. Oh, special. But then others, they pass by us. And I think when we take a quick reading of this passage in Matthew, we see the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, but the more important things go past us. Let's go back again, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, second half of verse 2. We saw his star in the east. And have come. First gift that they brought of real importance was a gift of themselves. We saw it. It's a long ways, but we've come. We're here. It doesn't really matter what you know, but if you don't show up, you can be the best player on the team, but if you don't show up, what good is it? Yeah, I know there's going to be a game. I know there's going to... Oh, here's one for you ladies and, and frugal shoppers. 
There's going to be a great sale. Doesn't matter if you know there's a great sale if you don't show up for the sale, right? Not going to help you at all. Be the best player, you don't show up, you're not going to help the team at all. And they said, boy, first thing we got to do, besides all the gifts, first thing we got to do is we got to get there ourselves. They brought the gift of themselves. They didn't send delegates. They didn't send their kids or their grandkids. They didn't say, hey, you go and see what's going on and bring back to me. They weren't like Herod who said, look, you go and find him and then come back so I can worship him too. They said, we're going. This is a big deal. This is important. This is part of history. I want to see this. I'm going to go. It's the best thing I got is myself. It's interesting that, that Herod was all concerned about it. He was upset about it, but he didn't bother to go with them even when he found out. I think, I think it's even more interesting and, and sad when you look at the chief priest. You know, Herod went to the chief priest. Herod was, he was a Gentile converted to Judaism for political gain, but the, the chief priest, they, they were Jews by birth and they had the, the privilege of teaching the people scriptures. And they had been looking for the Messiah forever. And Herod comes, imagine this conversation. Herod comes to him and says, hey, I got these wise guys, I mean, wise men come from a long ways away. They told me that they saw a star. They're looking for the one born king of the Jews. They're looking for them. So where is the Messiah supposed to be born? See, they knew they were looking for the Messiah. Where is the Messiah going to be born? Because they're here. They say his star is here. Where is he? They said, well, in Bethlehem. They knew he's in Bethlehem because this is what it says. And they quoted scripture. They quoted prophecy. This is what it says. He's in Bethlehem. But did any of them go? No. Did any of these religious elite who, who had been looking for the Messiah, did they even, were they even on board with, with Herod and say, hey, when you find him, let us know. We want to come and see him. No. You see, they had this spirit of religiosity, but they had absolutely no relationship with the living God. A lot of people like that in the world today. Well, I got a high regard for God. I really respect them. I never use his name in vain. I don't say bad things. I haven't killed anybody. I don't lie, cheat, or steal. I'm a good person. I have a high regard for God. When was the last time you were in church? I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You don't need to go on a boat to be in the Navy either, I guess. Got a high regard for God, but I don't need to go and see him. Or here's one of my favorites. Oh, I, I worship God out in the woods. Great. That's good. I love to worship God out in the woods. I get a lot of praying going on when I'm holding on the handlebars on a motorcycle going through the woods. Awful lot of praying. You've ridden with me, Mark. I think we both did a lot of praying. <laughs> a lot of quick prayers. Oh, Lord, help. <laughs> I mean, you get, you get out into some of these places where it takes a long time to go to. And Jeff, you know this. I mean, you get out in some of these places just so gorgeous, you can't help but stop and go, Wow, God, you outdid yourself on this one. This is, I see some people's pictures on Facebook things and go, wow, God, you outdid yourself. So good, worship God out there in the woods. I do. 
I hear other people say, oh, I, I worship at home. Good. You should. In fact, I think that if you're not worshiping at home, if you're not worshiping wherever you go, then you're probably not worshiping when you come in here because you got to lay the foundation somewhere. But worship at home, worship in the woods, worship where you like to go and things you like to do, but come and gather in his presence. He wants the gift of your presence in his presence. It's one of the best things that you can give him. He's more concerned about that than he is about gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Give him yourself, and not just on Sundays, but every day that ends in Y. Second part of verse 2, and then also in verse 12, we have come to worship him. Verse 11, I should have said verse 11, not 12. It says, on, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. I think it's important to note, they worshiped him. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They worshiped Jesus. They visited with Mary. They visited with Joseph, but they worshiped Jesus. And then... They opened their treasures and presented him with these gifts. Isn't that cool? I mean, they, they come in, first they, they show up themselves. They didn't send somebody else. They showed up themselves, gave him the presence of their presence, and then they worshiped him. That's the second gift. That's the second great gift that they brought, was a gift of their worship, their adoration. They laid it all out. They bowed down before this baby, this time. He was, he was no more than two years old. And they respected who he was and realized this is not just a little boy. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. And they humbled themselves before him. They didn't care that Mary and Joseph were watching. They didn't care that they were in their robes and looking good, whatever. They worshiped. The Lord wants the same from us. I find it interesting that it says very clearly, then they opened their treasures, almost as if it was an afterthought. You see, we get so fixated on the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. They weren't fixated on that. They worshiped them. And oh, yeah, by the way, we got this other stuff. There's a reason that we put worship before taking up the offering. One is greater than the other. The other is just an extension. We need to learn to worship him and stop getting the priorities backwards. And finally, as we go through verse 12, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. What they did here, their final, their final gift was a gift of obedience to God. Gift of obedience to God. They had been warned and they instantly were obedient. They knew that they were, they were taking their lives in their hands. We had told Herod, yeah, we'll come back and let you know. Herod had people in high places. Herod himself was in high places. But they understood that God is in a higher place. And he told them, don't go back. Don't keep that promise. Don't go back to that man. In fact, don't even go the way that you came. I know that you're familiar with this path, but I want you to take a different path home. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that, that went and spoke a word against uh, one of the kings, and he was told by God, he says, don't, don't go back the way you came and don't even eat a meal in the, in the town that you stop in. And so he went and he spoke the word, and uh, as he was leaving, 
Another prophet is crazy. Another prophet heard that he was there and and uh, went off after him, sent his sons off after him or something, said, hey, come and come to my house for a meal. And the prophet says, no, I can't. I can't because God told me, don't stay here. Don't go home the same way and don't eat in this town. And uh, the second prophet says, oh, yeah, well, I'm a prophet too. And uh, the Lord sent an angel and told me to tell you that he changed his mind. Come back and eat. So the first prophet's like, oh, hey, cool. You listen a little more to his stomach than he was to the Lord. And he went back and ate. And while he was eating, the word of the Lord came to that second prophet who, who was a liar. God can use messed up people. Amen? The guy had just got done lying like an hour before. Word of the Lord came to him. He says, and points his finger at him. Hey, you're going to die when you leave here because you didn't obey the word of God. What are you thinking? You're going to be killed by a lion. Oh, that would be a great rest of the meal. Thus saith the Lord, amen. Pass the butter, please. How do you come back from that? I don't know. But the first prophet, he finishes his meal. So, all right, well, we'll see. And he got on his donkey and rode off. And a lion comes out and attacks him, kills him, but doesn't eat him, doesn't eat the donkey. The lion says, and word gets back. And the first prophet, or the second prophet says, well, that's too bad he broke the word of God. You had told him to. At least these magi had enough sense about them to say, God said, don't, we're not. It cost them extra because they had to figure out a different way to get back. It probably took them longer to get home. You know, sometimes obeying God is going to be inconvenient. Sometimes obeying God means you're not going to do what you said you were going to do. That is not a license to lie or just change your mind. But sometimes when God tells you, do this, it means you're not going to do that. And it's going to cost you extra. And it's, going to, it's going to be a pain in the behind sometimes. But what God really wants is your obedience. And that's a lot more fragrant than frankincense or myrrh. That goes up as a much better sacrifice to him. Let me say this. These are three great gifts themselves, their worship, their obedience. Let me make it personal. God wants you. He wants your worship, and he wants your obedience. And understand this. He doesn't want just one of them. And he doesn't want two out of three. You can't sit here and go, well, two out of three ain't bad. Yes, it is. Two out of three ain't good. When he wants all three. Don't shortchange God. He didn't send an angel. He sent his son. Come and worship him yourself. Don't send your son or your daughter or your grandkids. Don't, don't just make arrangements for somebody to pick up your kids and take them to church. You bring them. There is no replacement for you. There's no substitute for your presence. Worship him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And be obedient to him. Whether what he asks you to do is, is little or it's great, you might feel like it's just a, a very small thing, but understand this. If you can't be faithful in the little things, you'll never be faithful in the big. If you can't be trusted with the little, he's not going to trust you with a lot. So don't get offended if God asks you to do something small. Say, here I am, Lord. Send me. 
Here I am ready to do your will. Until we get those three, God's not interested in the other gifts. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you to trample my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. What he's saying is what I want is not your stuff, but it's you. I want you. I want your worship. And I want your obedience. Nothing else matters until you get that right. So let's commit together, can we? In this new year, in fact, in this new week starting today, let's commit together to give of ourselves regularly, not just on Sundays. Don't be a Sunday Christian and a Monday hooligan. Can we commit together to worship him at home and here together? You ought to, we ought to come to church worshiped up. We ought, to, we ought to be a right. I mean, we, wow, it shouldn't take Pastor Wayne two or three songs to get us in the mood to worship God and to hear from him. We ought to walk through those doors saying, hey, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. You need to put those arguments on hold. You know, when, you, when your spouse is being a pain in the behind or your kids are just not paying attention on Sunday, hello, it's not a, it, that's the enemy. Put it on a hold and say, you know what? I'm going to start worshiping God right now so that by the time I get to church, I am revved up and ready and I can hear what he's got to say. And I'm going to be a blessing to him and be ready for him to bless me. And then can we also commit to be obedient always and consistently, not just when it's convenient. Amen? Stand with me, would you? We need to pray. Lord, good gifts were given on the day that the wise men showed up. They brought things that, that are impressive to us, Lord. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold and perfumes. Money and stuff. Lord, that's just the stuff that's on the surface. That's not the important stuff. That's not the stuff that excites you. Lord, I'm convinced that what excited you was the fact that they came when they saw. When they saw the star, they said, this is it. Something leapt in their heart. And they said, I got to go. They didn't send somebody else. They came on their own. Lord, that's the same kind of commitment that you desire from us. Lord, we know that you honored those men because you warned them and protected them. Lord, I'm convinced that because of their witness, their testimony, lives were Transformed. I know I'm speculating that, but that's just the way that you work. So Lord, I pray this morning that we would be men and women 
who would show up really with the greater gifts, the gifts of our presence, the gifts of our worship, the gifts of our obedience. Lord, that we would do so corporately, but also individually. Because what we can't do individually, we'll never do corporately. Lord, I pray if there be anyone in this place this morning that's struggling with any one or all of these issues, Father, that you would, Lord, just make them aware that you know what's going on. Lord, that you would draw them close and encourage them. Church, with that in mind, if you're here this morning and you, and you, and you struggle with giving God yourself, just, the, just even the simplest gift of your presence, Or maybe you're pretty good at showing up, but you're not so good at, at doing what he asks. Or maybe you're okay at doing and, and showing up, but you struggle in worship. Or maybe you got one down, but not the other two. You got two down, but maybe you struggle with all three. If that's you this morning, you just, by raising your hand, you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I need some help. I need the Lord to help me in one or all of these. If you just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Nothing to be ashamed of. God, thank you. God challenges us. He makes us aware so that he can draw us close and perfect us. Amen. Thank you. Lord, you see the hands going up around this place. Some folks struggling with all three. Some folks struggling with one. They got two. Lord, I pray that you would encourage, especially those that raise their hand, encourage them in those areas that they slack. Lord, that we might together draw close to you, that we might together, Lord, walk into not just this new week, but this new year and this new season at Mountain View Christian Center. We walk into this new season together, full of worship and in obedience, and that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would bless not only your people, but you would use us to be a blessing to reach others. Lord, I speak your grace, your peace, your mercy over your people. And I pray, Lord, that those especially that raise their hand would even right now receive your strength. We'll be quick to give you the praise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net. Dot net.